Welcome to another episode of Leading Edge Interviews. My name is Superdate, and I'm here to bring you another conversation with one of the top stars in the world of progressive rock and metal. If you're ever curious about what goes through the minds of the people who create all this music and what inspires them, well, this is the place to find out. So if you're a fan of Prague in any form, you've got to be absolutely loving 2023 at this point in time. It has been a bonanza for new, great Prague music, both from established artists and as well from uh, seemingly a bevy of debut albums that have come out so far this year. I have been lucky so far to talk to two of them, and today we're adding a third to that list. I was lucky enough to get to sit down and talk with Philip Rich and Cole Millward, both of No Spoon. They are vocals and bass, respectively, and had a great time. Honestly, it was, uh, again, I'm loving this idea that the younger generation is coming up and their music is being formed by the stuff that I was listening to as an adult, that it's not just the 70s prog bands influencing people anymore, but it's the people that were influenced by the 70s prog bands. And it's this become this multi-generational continuation of the concept of prog rock and prog metal. And I love it. I'm so happy to get to talk to Bill and Cole about No Spoon, their band, their debut album, Opus. And it's a serious concept album, folks. These guys are coming out of the gate full bore. I'm not kidding. And honest to goodness, it was a great conversation. Three of us had a great time. And I look forward to sharing that info with you right now as we talk to Phil Rich and Cole Millward of No Spoon. So excellent. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. I appreciate your time. Get uh, Glad to get to talk to you guys. Uh, always fun to talk to rising stars that are making waves, which is what you guys are absolutely doing at this point in time. Thank you. Well, good. Appreciate Thank it. you. Yeah, can't help but notice the uh, talk of, and you know what? Among the things that you usually take care of before maybe you start officially recording is making sure I got the pronunciation correct. It's no spoon? That's correct. Okay. The line over the U is indeed functional. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it uh, is. We'll get, we'll get back to that in a moment, but you start noticing the name no spoon popping up a lot in the, in the progosphere, as I call it. And uh, you start uh, hearing some good things and you go, all right, let me go check this out. Check it out. And you go, okay, uh, the good things I'm hearing are in fact founded. They are, they are valid and they are very cool. So uh, welcome to the world of uh, prog rock, prog metal in the greater uh, blogosphere, progosphere, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you've gotten some attention. So kudos. Thank you. We're Thank super you. We're happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Excellent to talk to you. So real quickly here, No Spoon. Curious about the origin of the name because I, I Googled that. I don't think I found a definition, but I may have given up too easy. <laughs> uh, Cole, you want to take that one? Sure. Um, so uh, a little hard to talk about it without somewhat mentioning a little bit of the band history. We're not technically totally new to this world i guess um we sort of have existed um in sort of various forms as a band for uh quite some time like like at least a decade wow. um, okay. by this point like we we started when we were teenagers and you know we've had some some like members come and go over time but like um and therefore of course we've gone through a few different names yeah. um over time 
And as we started working on this particular album, there was this real sense of like, this feels a little new. Like there's, you know, some of the members who have been around for all of this time, but we think it's time to sort of present this as a new thing, not just a continuation of what right. came before, but like this deserves a new name, sort of new branding, all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and so uh, we sort of started on what I think might be the hardest thing that a band ever has to do, which is coming up with the name. Right. Um, I, I honestly think that's true because like with, with, the, with, with these guys, I have the easiest time writing music. Right. But we had the hardest time coming up with a name. <laughs> that just always seems to be the case. Um, and we wanted to pick something that sort of like connected all of us so that it wasn't just like something that only like one of us had some sort of reference to. So um, we all kind of are into the Matrix films, right? Because like good sci-fi, good action films, all that uh... stuff. Um, and of course, there's the famous line in there. Um, you know, the there is no spoon thing. Um, and so can, we were like, oh, that's I, uh, a funny thing. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in to, to my favorite part of the story? It, it's not just the band that also has a reference to the name. It's, uh, the, uh, production studio that Cole and our guitarist James co-own and run, oh, wow. um, called giant spoon productions. Nice. And that name came about and thus no spoon uh came about because back when we were um known by another name we were cutting our teeth on recording for the first time for our, by ourselves yeah uh because this entire album was done in-house um and when we were when we were working out the kinks in that process uh we were basically running it out of at the time cole's bedroom <laughs> and i go over one day to like record some uh because at the time, I think I was still playing rhythm. Uh, I went over there to like record some guitars or some vocals or something for our, our last piece of uh, our last initial EP. And there was this three foot by foot and a half giant silver spoon just mounted on the wall in the middle of like right in the middle of the wall. That's and I part. walk in and I was like, so Cole what's with the giant spoon? And he turns around like he's been waiting on this question and with this like almost evil grin, you know, grinning through his teeth, there is no spoon. Yep. <laughs> and thus, giant spoon was born and later on, you know, no spoon. No spoon. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That is... Perfectly, the word I'm looking for, esoteric in nature. It's it's very weird and meta, and yeah. and then of course, like the spelling was sort of a thing that we decided as like a um, as like we knew that if we wanted to be searchable online, it mm. kind of had to be like a word that didn't exist yet, yeah. so that we would definitely pop up on like the first page, and so we were like, okay, no spoon, that's cool. Um, a nice sort of meta reference to like all of these things that sort of interconnect us, but like, we can't just spell it normally. We have to spell it weird. Um, yeah. And so we were all kind of laughing about it, but you know, at, at the end of the day, we were kind of like, 
you know, I mean, there's if if there's a, a band out there called Spock's Beard, I feel like we can <laughs> we yeah. can get away with uh, this just odd spelling of a weird reference as a yeah. name, and uh, and I think that quirkiness sort of fits the the nature of the band dynamic pretty well, right? right. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a funny idea, not a funny idea, but it, it's a very modern idea. Because it's not the first time I hear people talking about the idea of, I don't just want a name that is original. I want a name that's easy to search. That comes up quickly in the Google yeah. results. And, you know, like it's, it's really in and of itself, it's a reflection of the modern age, you know, the where we live is that you can't just necessarily be original as easily and, and it'd be as, I guess, as accessible as easily as if you have something really right. unusual and creative at the same time. So you guys have done it on both levels there. Multi-level thinking. Eh? I feel like so hey. many, like with, with how many people there are out here sort of doing this thing, like almost every band name you can think of has kind of already been explored yeah. in some way, or, or just like all of these names are sort of already taken with right. so many people being creative about it. Um, and so coming up with something that is truly new, as far as band names goes, pretty difficult. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hardest part of being in a band, coming up with a name. As the kids would say, true dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, that's, again, great to meet you guys. This is, uh, I can already tell this is going to be fun because we're, we're making re Matrix references right off the bat. Yeah. So you guys One have been around for like 10 years now. What? What chain of events came about at this point that led to you making this album? Like what, what, if you've been around for a while and you hadn't made a debut, now you did. So something changed, right? I, I would say so. Um, at least for me, um, on a personal level, um, cause like I said, we, we had different iterations of this, particular collective you know plus or minus members um always in some sort of progressive format right we always love prog metal uh you know leaning harder into like old school like dream theater and symphony x for our like very like initial like getting our toes wet yeah you know very garage band uh then we went through an iteration where it was very like gent oriented you know, like what mid two thousands, okay, mid late two thousands. Yeah. Um, that you know, we discovered bands like Periphery and the Contortionists, and it hit home. So we we explored that. You can hear some of that in our sound. Yeah, but honestly, I think what really happened was, at least for me, there was a level of maturity that was reached where life kind of like happened got in the way like for instance i i got married had a baby right um and it got to a point where the time that i was investing in the project was not fulfilling me like it used to um and it's because we didn't realize we had found like a particular like formula that was working um and we didn't realize like what we had in each other like as members yeah. like that we had kind of stumbled onto the secret sauce completely by accident we had no idea 
Right. And so when we, you know, started tampering with that and trying and experimenting, um, we lost it. And for me, it was so far gone that I would come home after, you know, trying to, you know, write or record or something like that. And I was so like n- no longer enjoying it right. that my wife said, I, I kind of need you here. Hmm. So if you're going to leave and you're not going to get something out of it, why not just like let it go? Yeah. And I actually did. Like I actually stepped away from the, the group for a while. And that, that stung because I think three of us in this band are like the founding members. Hmm. And so to be one of the founding members and step away from like my baby, you know, it, it broke my heart. And a series of events took place. We all basically got the band back together as like its original founding members because we realized, oh my God, I don't think we realized what we had because we tried other things and it didn't work. Like none of it worked. And what did work didn't feel good. It wasn't a fun time. Mm-hmm. And so getting this particular group of individuals back together, it it clicked all over again. It was we were off to the races. And I think for me, it was a realization of, hey. We might have found it by accident, but we can keep it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost it's sort so, of like we like e- even though this is sort of like the proper debut as No Spoon, it's right. kind of like we've already gone through like as much of like band drama as we possibly can beforehand. Hopefully, right. to <laughs> so <laughs> that like going forward, hopefully we'll, we won't right. have to deal with that quite as much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree. We we've had sort of a a little bit of like a revolving door kind of thing with like some different members, like keyboardists and and drummers and stuff over time. And uh, at some point, we realized uh, we're just sort of looking back. We're like, hey, like that sort of period of time around like 2012, 2013, like the group of us that were going on at the time, that was like the most fun that this had ever been, and we were like riding the the coolest stuff at the time so maybe we should sort of like get back to that right um yeah and you know we had we'd already sort of started working on this album by that point we'd already been like writing and going through the process of learning how to put together like a really kick-ass like prog concept album yes and everything (laughs) and it had sort of its ups and downs in terms of like its progress, how we were able to move forward with it. And I think to, to what Phil is saying is like, once we had that realization about like the right group of members to make it happen, it was like all of a sudden everything clicked and it it just like progress started going so smoothly where there had been periods of like a couple years where it just felt like we were waiting for Mm -hmm. the mentality to be right about to, to finish writing and producing this record and everything, it felt like pulling teeth at time to get everyone to sort of like collaborate on it and, and work right uh, to, to everyone's frustration. Right. And then, yeah, the moment that we realized, Oh, it's like, we, we just need to get the right group of people. And the moment that we did, it was like just <laughs> zero to 60, like within a span of months after that point, like we to put it- the album. <laughs> <laughs> to put it into perspective, I think 
Cole, James, um, some of my vocal bits came in later, but Cole, James, and at the time, uh, we had a keyboardist who was helping do some of the keyboard bits. I think they wrote a majority of the music in the span of about, what, a year? Yeah. Yeah. It was, God, five years later? Five and a half years later? Yep. Wow. Before I came back? Yeah. Because like somewhere in that span of five and a half years, it had slogged down to such like a crawl and I couldn't wrap my head around what was going on. Nobody really could. It was just like plodding along. And I'm like, this feels like it's dead in the water. Mm -hmm. Like this album's never going to happen. And you know, life happens and you got to pay the bills and all that. And so I took, I took time off. And when we, basically put those pieces back together at like Cole said in less than six months, everything just, and we had a debut. And I think the, the, the proof is kind of in the pudding a little bit, you know, uh, we didn't really expect this. Yeah. Like to, you know, be talking to some of the people we're talking to and having interviews like this and, um, being put on, blogs and like top top 10 lists like frog frog record or, or or frog song of the week on certain websites and things like that like that's that's foreign <laughs> because like Crazy. like Cole's, Cole and I have said we've we we're not new you know we we've yeah. released music before but never music that did anything like this yeah not on this level and, you know, and, and it's interesting because it kind of links into one of the questions I had in my head to begin with was the idea that out of the gates, this album struck me as something that had been polished really, really, really to a high shine. More so than you tend to have expected from a band that is putting out their debut. You know, like most debuts have, you know, some rough spots here and there. And they get some things that, you know, maybe sound like, seem like they haven't quite fully cooked yet. They haven't quite fully gestated. And, you know, I think one of the things for me, because I I do my research before I start to do an interview. So I hopefully don't sound like an idiot. but So I know something a little bit what's going on. Um, but always looking for the interesting angles. You guys didn't have a lot out there written about you except reviews of the album. And what I was reading is like, okay, nobody else seems to have information I don't already have, which is in some ways both liberating and intimidating because I got nothing (laughs) to hang on to and I've just got to explore my own. But it dawned on me, I'm like, as I listen to this album, as I read these lyrics, I'm like, this this is not somebody's first steps. This is something that has been worked on pretty meticulously for a while, I got to think. So sounds like that that sound that appearance is in fact accurate you guys have really been working on this for an extended period of time this didn't just pop up out of the blue it's it's been given some time to really form solidly before being put out as a product so i have a lot to say about this (laughs) um take it away cole yeah so uh, there's i i definitely think there's just a lot that you learn in the years of being abandoned and most of our, our experience has been in sort of in the local sphere. We're from Charlotte, North Carolina. So most of our experience is in sort of that Charlotte area. And there's a whole 
slew of challenges that you face as a local band, everything from, you know, pay to play battles of the bands to, you know, I don't like just like unreliable business people. And like you learn like the different bands to work with and everything. And you just, just sort of develop a sense for the way things go. And, you know, we, in, in our earliest iteration of this band, we recorded an album and everything. Um, some of the first music that we ever wrote and it did not turn out the way that we wanted it to. We sort of had a sound in our heads. that was like, Oh, this is going to be so cool. We're going to, we're going to be like dream theater and everything. And then the album that came out of that was so disappointing in so many ways. Like the, um, the sound wasn't there. It was basically as though it hadn't really been mixed. Um, and in fairness, a lot of the people who were working on it were sort of doing like pro bono work. So it, there's only so much you can expect from that. Um, and, you know, it was easy to see some of our immaturities as songwriters. And we just sort of felt like, wow, this this kind of feels like local band work, mm. you know, and that sort of started us down a road of we want to learn how to produce our own records. Like we want to learn how to do the audio side, like basically every part of it. We want to learn to be able to do that ourselves because yeah. we never want to go into a studio again and come out of it with an album that we don't like or that we're not proud of. Right. Um, and so we ended up writing another EP and recording that all ourselves. And we're really proud of that music. I was, again, from sort of the previous iteration of the band, really proud of that. But of course, that was like one of the first things that I ever mix yeah because i'm the the um the recording and mixing and mastering engineer on uh for for the band essentially um and so we're really proud of the music itself but the mix is still very uh novice level mm -hmm. i would say and so after that we want to plug the name uh, what <laughs> for, for the, the old music or yeah just so that <laughs> people have a history you know like because no spoon feels like it dropped out of nowhere. And if anybody was interested, you know, and it actually ties back into why we changed the name. Um, the previous iteration of this group was known as Ozai. Oh, for all you fans, Avatar, the last airbender. Yes. <laughs> that is a fire Lord reference, which is why we had to change that name because back when we formed that band, what? Oh, five somewhere around uh, well no no no, 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 no. Uh, that's too early too early like 2013 um, or something 2012 2013. right 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 um it hadn't blown up on netflix you know it kind of ran its time on nickelodeon and died and so we all thought hey it's a cool name why not and so we used it there weren't any other acts at the time then it sort of like reawakened on netflix turned into like a multi-million dollar name right and and now there's like 13 ozai's that you can find readily available on like apple music spotify and whatnot and so we're like ah yeah okay <laughs> then now we look like we also look like bandwagoners even yeah. though we've been on right. it for years ahead of time but yeah, yeah. and it was but, always like you would search that name and that was never the first thing that would come up it was no the actual and, show yeah and we 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 weren't thinking that far ahead at the time like we were still you know just wanting to come up with a cool band name you know and so this time around that there was another thing we learned is like you know pain from experience right yeah <laughs> that's true but uh 
So we yeah like, that that music. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Cole. Uh, Take it away. Sorry, ultimately, where I was going with that was like around the time that that I was sort of learning how to how to do this, how to do like uh, music production and stuff. Um, I was listening to these records where the sound was so immaculate, where the the mix was like it was the greatest metal mixes that I've ever heard in my life. And I was so inspired by that. And I was just like, like with, with the way audio technology is right now. And, you know, like you can get yourself a copy of pro tools or Cubase or whatever. And there's all these plugins out there that are constantly on sale. These things just, just make the music sound great. The, the only thing that's missing is the know-how. The only thing that's missing is the experience. And so it's like, there's, there's no reason there's no like monetary barricade to keep us from having an album that sounds as good as the best sounding albums out there. The only thing that's missing is our own experience. Yeah. And so part of that, you know, five, six, seven years that we worked on this album was not just, you know, like coming up with the music and like lyric writing and refining the parts and stuff, but like recording demos and then recording them again and then deciding, okay, it's time to record the final album and then recording those parts over and over again. Like our, our song, um, the death of Simpson track three off of the new album. I recorded the bass tracks for that song no fewer than 10 times. Wow. (laughs) And it wasn't because like, Oh, like I'm just not satisfied with my performance. It was like, I would record the bass track and be like, yeah, that's cool. And then I would learn something new. I would get a new piece of gear or a new bass or something like that. And I'd be like, well, now I have to re-record those parts again. And I, it, that just happened so many times to where like after the final time I was, I was actually like happy with it. I was like, I cannot allow myself to touch this again. I'm getting so tired of recording this one song over and over again. Um, And so there was just this process of like all of us going back and forth while I was learning to, to mix properly where we were all sort of mixing it together to a certain extent that like, you know, I would put out a, a revision of the mix and everyone would be like, uh, no, like this doesn't sound right. Like, you know, just like all kinds of feedback and, you know, doing that over the course of several years and sort of constantly holding it up next to those, those albums of mine that are like my favorites that I think sound the best. And right being like, are these comparable? Like if I play ours and then one of my favorites or vice versa, like, do I feel a difference? Do I feel a difference in quality? Do I ever feel at any point that like, okay, cool. Yeah. The, the super awesome commercial mix is over. Now our song kicks in. Does it still sound like a local band? Right. Or does it maintain that level of like quality? Could you, could you tell that we're not like a big label supported band or anything? And we weren't going to be satisfied with releasing the album until we hit that point. If it yeah. took us another three years to do it, that's what it was going to take. Wow. We just had to wait it out. Yeah. And truthfully, the music was a little bit the same. It was like, like Phil said, a lot of the music was, uh, was done between me, our guitarist, James, and our keyboardist at the time, David. Um, sort of working on it. And there was very much this mentality of um, this album has to be perfect in every single way in, in our own eyes, like musically, every note has to be intentional. Nothing can be 
I, I don't know. We we had some some of that early immature musician thing going on years ago where it's like, oh, that's a cool guitar riff. I'm going to write a cool bass part to go along with it. But right. they don't necessarily complement each other. It's just like a cool guitar part and a cool bass part, not a cool song. Yeah. Right. And it was that maturity that came later, I think, that that sort of really bloomed with this album. Yeah. That was that was us making sure that every single and I mean every single <laughs> note on the album was intentionally chosen and honestly argued over for hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to get loud, but that's <laughs> No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. And we're just yeah. having, yeah. you know, like Vietnam flashbacks over that, basically, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there's ups and downs to that. I think, the, of course, the big thing is the fact that if you channel all of that into making something that is, as you said, intentional, is exactly what you want it to be and sounds the way you want it to be, you can walk away from, from the experience with something that sounds great. And, and, I still don't get tired of listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still don't get tired of listening to our record. Yeah. And that might sound pretentious and I really don't mean it to be, but it, I hold it up there with some of my favorite records of all time. Nice. And it's, and it's because it's just that. Yeah. It, it is exactly what we wanted to hear. In fact, I think that's part of what spawns like the creative spark to begin with. Yeah. Is like, my favorite bands aren't producing enough music to satiate that need. And so like, let's make some more, you know, <laughs> there you go. That's the upside. And that's like, if I understand correctly, then, then Cole, you have a studio, you own and run a studio, correct? Yes. Uh, okay. Our guitarist James and I uh, co-own and, and nice. run the studio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Giant spoon production. I think somewhere along the line, I got the impression and I don't know where I got this from now. I'm questioning my own sanity, but that's <laughs> daily. Um, the idea that, that you had recorded it essentially at home and with your own kind of in-home studio, which maybe is what this is. And, and so it's the same thing or it's not. I, you know, now I'm not sure what I heard. We, we do actually have, we now have a small studio space uh close to downtown charlotte um it's it's far from like the biggest or most fully featured uh studio but our our mentality is kind of like if you're coming to us to record you're not necessarily coming there because you're hoping to see a million dollar console uh in the control room or something you're coming there because you've heard uh our work and and you want that on your project is essentially what it is but the the process of producing the album, or like like getting that studio space was something that happened during the process of producing the album. So the earliest parts of the production, like the earliest guitar and bass tracks were definitely recorded here in my living room. Just I, I have my own sort of like personal home uh, audio space. And a lot of it was just hooking up the gear and yeah. just tracking away uh, here with our free time. And that's, again, another one of those modern world things, because at this point in time, this will be the third interview I've done with people in a band that debuted a prog metal album this year. That one was recorded in a cabin. One was recorded, you know, in your studio, more or less at home. One was recorded remotely 
from five or six people across the world emailing their parts in and they all sound amazing. And I'm sitting here thinking, how screwed are the producers out there? (laughs) They are so no longer needed that people can make the stuff that sounds so great like like you guys are doing. Well, I guess the the tricky part of that is like um there's there's definitely so I mean the 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 audio industry has definitely like increased and and bloomed and become a lot more available to everyone because of technology the fact that we can do all of this uh this recording and honestly very quick editing yeah um, this this is not like the old days where editing meant cutting physically cutting pieces of tape with scissors like you can do did that <laughs> a whole day's worth of of tape cutting in a matter of minutes now honestly it was such a step up from the stone tablets that i was very happy to be able to (laughs) cut the tape you know it's it's beautiful like i i I personally think that the technology is really beautiful and and the funny thing is i think what that has forced us into is that it's the obstacle like kind of like i was saying the obstacle is no longer the like how much money you have right you know it's it's not do you have the money to get into a studio or to Mm -hmm. own the the equipment yourself now it is do you have the wherewithal to train your ear and to to train your brain how to how to create a a great record like for for everyone who's who's sort of like putting out a great sounding record from home yeah there's a, a thousand other people at home with the same equipment and the same plugins who are just struggling to get their snare drum to sound right. <laughs> um, and it's, it's tough and it's a real struggle. And yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I really want to emphasize this. Is, it's not something that like, like learning how to mix. It was not an overnight thing. Yeah. It was a lot of pain. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it, was, and- it was so much like comparing, like that process I was talking about of like comparing my mix to my favorite mixes is so demoralizing. To think that you've like created a good sound and then to suddenly compare it to something you know sounds good and realize how utterly crappy yours sounds. It it honestly makes me not want to touch my audio setup for a week wow. because it's like <laughs> it, it tells me how far yeah. I have to go. And so like it's it's kind of a. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a there's two sides to the coin it's that like it's it's totally amazing that we can do this from our homes now but the challenge has really been put on mm. like on our ears in yeah. our brains to be able to to make it happen now and i like that you you said two different things because i i think you can have like the intellectual wherewithal to be able to understand the process and like you know a lip service to what a mentor might be teaching you. Right. But there are some times where if you can't hear it, it doesn't matter if you have all of the know-how in the world. Right. Um, A great example is like a, like a, I have known classically trained pianists who could play some of the most complicated, like piano suites you could, you could write, but they can't hear the notes. Hmm. Right. If you ask them to sing the note back to you, they can't do it. And if you ask them to write anything, they're utterly incapable. Yeah. So I think it's a bit of both. Yeah, Yeah, they can replicate 
and they have the knowledge to be able to tell you all the technique and why it works and how it works. But if you ask them to create you anything using that knowledge, they can't do it. And so I think honestly, that's the question being like, what are producers going to do? And it's like, well, I think now what separates good producers from bad producers isn't money and gear. It's their ear and technique. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny you say that because you're basically saying you're describing the, the converse or the reverse or one of those things of what a friend of mine who went, tried to make a serious career as a musician and had some minor level of success, but he couldn't read a note of music at all, read nothing. Mm. And he always said, look, music is sound. You just, you need to be able to hear and know how to make the sounds you want to make. And so what you describe is someone who knew how to read, had that so-called, I guess, book learning aspect right. of it, but didn't have the capability to take that sound and make something else out of it. So it's, it's, it Absolutely. kind of underlines, it's not necessarily about how formal your training was or whether you can read music. Right. Right. Um. In fact, I think it's more important to understand like the concepts yeah. and to know your instrument, whatever it is, whether it's your voice or a bass or keyboard or whatever it is, like know how to get a, get around on it. Right. And then train your ear. I think that's far more important than training your eyes. Yeah, I, I do. Um, our guitarist, I mean, if you've listened to the record, you know, he is a technically proficient mother trucker. He knows yeah. what he's doing. Yes. I don't think he can read sheet music. Yeah. Probably can't. Like if you put if you put a page of like quarter notes and all that stuff in front of him, like I think he could get around on it. Yeah. But I'll could he like later. sight read? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Don't quote me on that, James. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. But I really don't think like you could throw him a piece of sheet music and he know what to do with it. In his defense, but if um, you but, but <laughs> if you said like if you started thwacking away, yeah, immediately yeah. he knows what key you're in, he knows what mode he's going to play, yeah, he knows all the patterns in the modes if he wants to change it up, and then on top of that, he knows he has a, an ear for what he likes to as well, so he could play like, hey, what if at this part we change to this and he's proficient enough in his instrument that he can show you what's in his head just by playing it. Wow. Yeah. He doesn't have to read your music. He can play it just by listening to you and then spitting it right back out. And I've watched him do it. And it's in his, I defense, think, I, I yeah. was like, I, I went to school for music and I learned how to read and everything, but like my, my life and career has not kept me up with my like sight reading training. And so, like, if you sit a piece of sheet music in front of me, I can read it, but it's more like I have to translate it. It's just that that's a skill you have to keep up with over time. So, like, even though I learned how to read it, it, it still wouldn't do me very much good. I, I agree that I think the, the bigger thing that I pulled out of music school was my ear as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think that you're I, I think, you know, coming full circle, that's kind of what we're we're getting at is that if you're going to focus on something like really focus on it, get good at your instrument and get and train your ear. Yeah. 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 And speaking of that, uh, clearly listening to the album, you guys are rather good at your instruments and <laughs> to, a, to a high, high degree. Um, 
hearing you already talk about the fact that Dream Theater is, is one of your original inspirations, I don't think there was a single review I read that did not basically say these guys are in the vein with Dream Theater and Haken. And that strikes me as very accurate. Uh, clearly, the chops are there. So I was kind of curious. I'm going to take the fact that you, <laughs> you just flashed those horns and nodded that you're very cool with that description. I was always curious, you know, what's it like to be compared to other bands that way, whether you agree with it and whether you're, you're, you're cool with it or whether you think some of these people are, are just going for the easy grabs. Because if you're going to grab a prog metal band, Dream Theater is the first one you're going to pick. And these days, you know what, Haken is very likely the second. Yeah. So I, I just have one thing to say to that. When the ugliest like diss you get from an online review is that you're a Haken ripoff fan, <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. I don't think you're even close to the mark on that just because I was there for the process of this being written. But if that's the ugliest thing you can think to say of, of, of this band, I'll take that every time. Awesome. Thank you. It's not a horrible insult to receive for right. sure. No, no, I'll I mean, take that one. Like it's, I, I feel like it would be a, a weird surprise and definitely a lie as well for us to say that we haven't spent our entire like careers lives as musicians like listening to and enjoying the work of dream theater for sure i mean it's it's like like you said they they sort of are the quintessential prog metal band um and our sort of aim our our style in the prog like prog is such a weird like uh genre to try to define because like i remember when i was first getting into it and i you know, her dream theater for the first time. I was like, I love this. I just exhausted all of their discography. I'm like, I need to get more. Where can I listen to other bands that sound like dream theater? And the problem is that there are none. Like there are other prog bands, especially at that time there was like, I don't know. I I gravitated to like Opeth, but Opeth doesn't sound like dream theater. They're prog metal, but they have their own thing and symphony X. Okay. Well, they have like some, similarities i guess and that they're shreddy but they're a lot more neoclassical than dream theater is um you know you've got circus maximus who they they kind of have a little bit more of like an 80s thing going on at the same time but no one sounded just like dream theater and so it's kind of hard to to sort of you know parse what makes a prog metal band but just because they're sort of the quintessential prog metal band i tend to think of them as up the middle of the road prog like the yeah. things that you expect, or prog metal, at least what you expect to hear. You heavy riffs, uh, really percussive drums. You know, big epic sections. You know, punctuated by heavy sections and more emotional sections and things like that. It's just a really wide ranging thing. And so naturally, if we were going to go for that same middle of the road prog thing. Obviously, we were going to be finding ourselves in in that kind of description. Um, But we that that sort of like perfectionist mentality that I mentioned earlier about like the writing and the production side has that same mentality has totally informed the way that we have approached our instruments like this whole time. Um, You know, we've we've like covered 
dream theater songs like individually. It's like, I want to sit down and practice. Let's learn a dream theater song. And it's, it's always sort of been that way. Right. And we've just sort of gotten better at doing that with time um, because, you know, it's, it's practice, practice, practice. And, um, but James and I are also, we're, we're both, uh, and and now uh, Paul, our drummer as well, are music teachers. And so we're, we're sort of constantly, engaging with different techniques to improve um like you know musical playing ability it's it's kind of hard to hard to preach it when you're not also living it yourself right um right. and so yeah like gradually over time it's like we, we develop the taste for being able to play a lot of notes very fast <laughs> and, um and just the the perfectionist attitude of like okay i just played a lot of notes very fast but was it clean did i feel like i said something with those notes uh so yeah it's it's kind of just part of the language we feel that we're speaking in order to be able to play that stuff i guess yeah plus going going back to like the references like with with dream theater and hicken i think we end up falling more in that camp with this record as opposed to like our previous ep as ozai right okay um, because as Ozai, like I said, we, we leaned more into the gent influence, yeah, which sticks out. Like you'll, if you listen to that record, um, you'll, you'll hear it in the music that is written. And then also the vocals, uh, for that record, we were trying to emulate all of those style bands. Okay. And so there were harsh vocals as well as cleans. Yeah. On this one, uh, a to um, make it easier for me to per- to reproduce on a nightly basis if we ever went on tour, um, <laughs> we cut out a lot of the harshes. But also, um, as as much as we loved Gent, Gent has less mass appeal. You that's can show Haken or Dream Theater to your mom, yeah. and she'll be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Yeah. I mean, like, it, it sounds silly, but it's the truth. Like, you could yeah. take it to your grandma and be like, hey, grandma, what do you think of this band? And, you know, James Labrie's not going to, you know, turn her ears to goo. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And we liked that idea. We could still have our heavy, impactful riffs, but we didn't have to scream at you, yeah. you know? Plus, it it it's better for conveying a message, which being a concept album, you probably want to hear what we're saying. (laughs) It was, it was both a a stylistic choice out of um, necessity, you know, to, to help convey the message, but also out of like forward thinking, I guess is the way I'm trying to think of it, you know, because the idea going, going back to that earlier question earlier, you know, when we were talking about like, what brought about No Spoon and what brought about the record of Opus and how did the band end up in this this moment where we're at now? For me, it was really about not only realizing what we had, but getting serious about keeping it. Yeah. And so if we were going to get serious about making this our our foray into the world, you know, taking a real stab at it, you know, instead of just being a bunch of kids in a garage band what what would appeal 
And honestly, I don't really miss trading out the harshes for the singing. Don't. And if it's going to have a broader appeal, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah, we, I think we kind of felt that, uh, you know, it like th- there's definitely a lot of music that we like that yeah. has harsh vocals and everything. Meshuggah is one of my favorite bands. <laughs> um, and they're only harshes. Yeah. Uh, yes. But it, like for our own music, it's kind of like a uh, we could we could take it or we could leave it like it, it didn't. It doesn't really make a huge difference to us whether we have it in the music or not. And so the only other thing to consider is like, well, if it doesn't make a difference to us, you know, who else's opinion should we consider? But like our sort of potential uh, general listening audience. And I, the, the funny thing is, like, it feels absolutely right. Like our um, our Ozai EP that we did years ago um, has harsh vocals in it. And um, <laughs> my parents, who are a little bit more casual listeners, will say they never cared for it. Um, but they love Opus. Right. They think the new album is amazing. So yeah. I think that's, you know, that, that sort of speaks to that. Look, we have a lot of uh, friends and family who are sort of definitely not metal listeners, much less prog metal listeners. Right. Um, and they still love the album. And that's honestly the most incredible thing to us. I'm, I'm always happy to hear uh, that metalheads and prog noggins are into uh our <laughs> are, are have into i the, never uh, heard that before <laughs> that what? one credit credit for that i think goes to uh goes to james's dad i think he walked into our, our writing session one day he's like what's up you prog noggins we're like that's awesome um that <laughs> so I, you know we're i will happy take to that hear. term to my grave now oh right Yes. Uh, we're we're happy awesome. to hear when yes. when like that demographic loves the music, but there's also something like really special when, uh, <laughs> for total lack of a better term, the normies also <laughs> enjoy it. It's like wow, that's really cool. You know, like the same people that enjoy like Taylor Swift also enjoy Opus. That's tight. <laughs> when I borrow when I borrow my wife's car, you know, to go take our kid for an errand or something. And she's typically listening to like, you know, K-pop and that sort of like genre of things. And she has our record like playing in the car. I'm like, yeah, really cool. By the the way, sorry. uh, Sorry for our long windedness. I don't know if you knew what you were getting into. I love it. I love the conversation. I love talking. That's amazing. But yeah, if you can sell the wife who's listening to K-pop on what you're doing. You know what? You've opened a door. That's all it takes. Sometimes you open a door to things. You know, years ago, I never would have listened to much of anything with harsh vocals because one, I can never much understand a lot of what they're saying. Uh, And at the same time, uh, you know, uh, I'm an old head enough to go. I I like my clean vocals. That's the way it is. And and I'm not ready to let go of that ever for an entire song. But, you know, uh, put on some Opeth, mix that in half and half. Put on some ginger and watch Tatiana go at it. She's my metal goddess right now. You know, <laughs> you uh, and Paul both. <laughs> our drummer, our drummer P Dub. Oh yeah, we we call him P Dub. That's his nickname. Uh, or Paul Wood because his last name is Wood. That's that's that his metal goddess A-Dub. as well. <laughs> the cat's called A Dub. Oh, I love it. Stands for attention whore. Very good. <laughs> love that. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, you you gave me ammo. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> so, hey, there is a new album yeah. out. Let's talk about that for a moment. So this Sweet. is this is a a serious again. It's one of those things you don't see often. People doing first time out the door, which is a story oriented conceptual album, and and this is a story that's to me I, like I think the word uh, it's not the word I want, but I forgot to go to thesaurus dot com to find out the other ones. A parable came to mind, but it's essentially uh, it, that there's a message in it, and and as I started reading the lyrics. And I'm and I'm seeing it, and I'm going. Well, this is starting off like a. I, I thought it was going to be a murder mystery, and then it became something entirely different. And and by the time I wrapped up, I was like, okay, that's rather cool. So, I I guess there's something that inspired that particular story among you guys. Is that a personal origin, or is it more of an intellectual, philosophical origin to it? Because I've I've seen story-oriented conceptual albums come out of both. Cool. <laughs> um, okay, so the the original story concept came from me mm-hmm. um, because I had a like it's it's funny. I I kind of wish that I could say that the story idea came from you know a, a bunch of time of like sort of either personal or, or intellectual digging and trying to say yeah. something or whatever um but the the original concept which granted the album is is quite different from its original concept um uh, but it was a dream wow it was a dream okay. um just that, that like the particular time in my life the or place in my life that i was sort of in at the time that i came up with the concept i wasn't getting very much sleep mm-hmm. and so when i did sleep i slept really really hard yeah. and would sort of, uh, I mean, I, I say hallucinate because that's kind of what it felt like, but I was dreaming, you know. I, I wonder if I, like, was snoring too much and, like, wasn't getting enough oxygen to my brain and that's why I was seeing these things or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I, I woke up in the middle of the night just having experienced this this story about a house and a bunch of people in the house and this seeming murder mystery kind of thing going on. But then, as dreams often do, it takes a hard left turn into weird sci-fi crap um and but but i woke up and i was like i can remember every single detail from it and so i i you know like wrote it out into my uh, into my phone and um over time we sort of refined out a lot of like the unnecessary extra stuff that like it doesn't contribute to the story because like whereas with a book you may have page after page after page to describe every detail of what's going on in the world with a concept album you only have so many lyrics to get the point across and then everything else has to be music right um and so we we trimmed the story down to sort of the the necessary parts and what's interesting about it like even though it sort of came from what feels to me like an arbitrary origin i definitely agree that there is these sort of like strange messages in there but for me it's like those messages became apparent to me over time, over the, the process of producing the album, not initially. Like there's legitimately for me, there are there are lyrical moments that like after I wrote the lyrics, because or most of the lyrics were written between me and Phil. Right. Um, there are portions of lyrics that I wrote that I was just writing for story purposes. I was right. just trying to, you know, tell the story. 
and then later realized these lyrics have a parallel in my life. <laughs> and that's kind of frightening to me. Like now I wonder how much of my life I have actually poured into these lyrics without knowing it. Hmm. Um, just like these um, in, in the album, the, the character of or the protagonist, the, the character of the composer talking about the sort of, you know, one of the big themes is the, the frustration of trying to create the perfect work of music, but it's always like on the tip of your tongue. You can never quite get it out. Um, I mean, and that's a little bit more on the nose because obviously that's something that a lot of us feel when we're trying to like create our best work and we just can't get it out sometimes. You know, it's writer's block. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there were other like moments in the lyrics where I'm like, wow, this kind of feels like uh, like I'm talking about my relationship with other people or with my family or something like that um, that totally was not intentional to begin with. But I began to interpret my own lyrics in in sort of other ways after the fact. So um, I don't know. I, I kind of want to say it, it feels like the album sort of has a life to its own that revealed itself to me in kind of the same way that it might reveal itself to an actual listener. Right. Um, so. I agree. I think there's there's messages there. It's just kind of funny because a lot of them weren't intended to begin with. They just sort of, I don't know, became apparent. Yeah. So there is there is like one or two like stories, messages, I guess you could say in there that I personally feel came about because of when we got to toward the ending of the song uh, of the, the writing process. Right. Um, Cause I think. Oh, forgive me. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Didn't we write within the realm last? Um, like within the, the realm, didn't we write the. Yeah. Within the realm was, was the last one to uh, talk about our, our song within the realm of possibility. That's the big old 15 and a half minute epic. <laughs> Um, that I believe, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) That was the one to receive sort of like the bulk of its lyrical content. I don't know if I want to say it was the last one to receive a lyric because I think maybe there were a couple that we were like, oh, there's a missing word here or there that we needed to add in or something. But but the, the, the crux of the story, I think, really fell upon that song when we were writing it cole and i Mm, because i think the original way that the story was going to end um spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't listened to the record um when the main character was going to basically right all of the wrongs what was going to happen is they were actually going to be the character who went back and they themselves were going to get to go and do all of these things. Yeah. And while we were trying to write it, that that kind of stuck in my, uh, pardon the old Southern expression, stuck in my craw <laughs> a little bit. I, uh, I, I didn't like the message because Cole's right. As we kept writing and kept going about it, all of these, these messages that were really like relatable started popping out. And that was one where no matter how I looked at it, the message that came across was if you forgo living 
your entire life and all the experiences that, that there is to live and only focus on the one thing with which you have no experience in, then it'll all work out in the end. So basically like him throwing his whole life away to focus on the song, the opus would be rewarded by him getting to go back and live the rest of his life. And it's like, but that's not how life works. You don't get a do over. And so one of the, the ideas that was pitched was like, Hey, we can, we can do like two stories, you know, two ideas to really get the listener to, to think about thing. One is what if he's not the one who gets to go back? He's got to send what he knows. He's got to pass on his experience, air quote, to the next generation. Right. He's passing on his knowledge to his younger self, which is something that happens in life anyway. He, he basically becomes his own father figure. Right. Right. And I already liked that. But then incidentally, what ends up happening is when we went back and started writing what happens in uh, um, Back Yet Forward, the song that follows, what actually happened when the knowledge was passed on to him was the way he righted all of his wrongs was he started living life. Yeah. He got up earlier. He did the dance. He spent time with his family. Like he actually started living all of the things that would give him the experience to write his opus. Right. And that's how I choose to interpret it. Other people might choose to interpret it different ways, but I, I liked the idea that two birds with one stone, you know, you might not get to be the one who fulfills your work, but that shouldn't mean you begrudge the next generation from experiencing or from benefiting from your experience. Right. And then the other one is you can devote all their time and effort into a thing, but unless you live life a little bit, what's, was, was it really worth it? Yeah. And would you even have the experience to accomplish the thing you're setting out to do? Sometimes, especially like in this creative context, we talked about it already. The maturity of the writing changed. We grew older, we gained experience, and our writing changed, our tastes changed, and it blossomed into Opus, the album that we wrote together. Yeah. Would we have been able to do that? I mean, clearly the answer is no, because we didn't you know, as a bunch of 18 year olds playing in a garage band, we didn't have the experience yet. We hadn't lived life. So <laughs> I, I liked, and I think that was, it was more of an intentional like choice. That's one of the few stories in the album where it was like, let's, let's hone in on that. Yeah. And let me tell you, it, the original plan for it was not anywhere near that deep, but I'm glad it got there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's funny because, uh, you know, to a large extent, what we've talked about as far as how you guys got from A to B and where you're at now is, is a lot of it was it happened when it was ready to happen, almost, so to speak, that in some yeah. ways, almost as you talk about that, the album is semi-autobiographical. because. You were like ready it. before you had the experiences when you came back to it after having had the experiences. This is what the result was. And see, that's what I was talking about, about like going that's through a, and listening to it and being like, 
wow, that was not a meaning that I originally intended, but yeah. like it sure does work. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, it's, and that's beautiful. And I'm going to take totally. that. I'm stealing that. You enjoy. Totally. <laughs> We'll take that. You can take prog noggins. <laughs> there we go. Quid pro quo, Clarice. <laughs> I um the other I think message I got out of it too is a certain sense was the idea that he saved those other people through self sacrifice as well. That in a certain sense, and and some of it probably went slightly over my head, but there's that idea that he gave up some of that obsessive focus on the work and the result was that he quote unquote went back in time and saved the people that died by giving up on his self-obsession so right yeah because the way that's the way that story ends it's like yeah you have time to recreate the work and get it exactly perfect yeah but who will you have to share it with right couple other things I noticed, and again, I, I visual, the, the album cover. I'm curious about the exact concept of that because uh, obviously I think, one, the idea that the house is isolated in a drop of water. There's also uh, one of the VPs I've worked with at my job would talk about the idea of somebody drowning in a teardrop. The idea of just getting so overcomplicated with simple things that and I'm sitting there going, I wonder if that was the the idea behind the image there, because it's almost could be that too, but I, I don't know. <laughs> so, wow. Another meaning we can add to the list. <laughs> there you go. Right <laughs> now, guys, I'm giving you grist for the mill no, here. <laughs> that, uh, that's that's actually that that sort of reminds me of another one of those uh, meanings that sort of made itself apparent to me over time. It's like um, this this process that I've talked about about like us learning how to produce a record like all in in all the technical sense like learning how to record and mix and and all of the complexities that go along with that um like and this is this is a little bit more about like my role in the band i'm more of the the technically minded guy i guess so i'm i'm the one who reads manuals for fun right that's (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the way i'll put it out um like so so many things that I've done like in my own personal career, which is kind of crazy, have been like steps that were taken to make the band sound better, which yeah. is funny. Like like, okay, cool. I have a, a studio thing now, but all of that came from the fact that I learned how to mix so that I could make this record. Right. Right. Um, I do guitar repair, right? But all of that kind of came from the desire to like mess around with my basses to make my bass tone sound better so that the band could sound better right hell even the reason that i went to like music school in the first place was so that i could learn how to you know properly communicate like with music theory and and learn better concepts and improve my ear so that i could make the band sound better right it's like it it all sort of has these these connections to it and i realized at some point like one of one of the themes or one of the the sort of uh, events that happens in the album that I think a lot of people get a little confused about because technically the events take place during an instrumental, which has no lyrics. So it's all interpretive or whatever. Um, The protagonist, after a number of years of now being alone and still obsessing, um, he begins to resort to these things that are peripheral to what he's trying to work on in the hopes that all of these peripheral things will make 
his opus work out in the end, right? Uh, to which he what what happens and it's it's sort of in the name of like 4D printing or whatever. He he creates a machine or something that he sort of hopes will make the opus. This is after you know like 50 years or whatever working on it, and it blows up. Which he thinks is the end, but of course that leads to you know the the very trippy events of of uh, within the realm of possibility. Right. And I, I realized, like, sort of once again later, like I had a little bit of a that that was not a meaning that I originally implanted in it. But for me personally, it was like a I started like most of us do, just like trying to come up with cool sounding music, right? And in the process, I have also sort of surrounded that with all these peripheral things like guitar repair and learning to do audio and everything. And it sort of had a personal meaning for me that was like a, you know, let's make sure I'm not ignoring sort of the most important thing, which is actually like making the music. Like, let me not get so bogged down in like, did I wire my pickups correctly? (laughs) (laughs) Or or have I EQ'd my snare drum right? All of that to uh, to miss out on the, like, am I actually creating music that feels self-expressive and things like that? Yeah. So, yeah. It's, and to that end, the drowning in a, teer, in a teardrop thing, like, are we making things overly complex and sort of missing out on the uh, on the actual, you know, point yeah. of what we're doing? Yeah. Um, but the, the album cover was sort of, it's... It's referential to events in the album, um, sort of, uh, you know, obviously, like, all of the events of the album kind of take place in this house, yeah, um, more or less. And so obviously, you know, like, that had to be included, I I think on the on the cover, like the, the, like the top room, like window is lit or something, which, of course, you know, it's reference to our our character staying up late at night working Mm -hmm. on, uh, on the opus and everything and um and then being enclosed in that sphere over like the dark water is sort of the reference to the fact that the you know both in metaphor and in the literal sense in the events of the album the universe has collapsed around him to where his his focus his view of the world is becoming slowly more and more like focused on the one thing to where it's beginning to cut out everything that surrounds him um, so like metaphor, uh, science fiction, literalism, I don't know. It's, it's kind of up for interpretation, but, uh, there's, there's lots of that in there for sure. And of course we had to make it so that the, the album cover, uh, reflected that as, as best we could and sort of gives away some of the, the spirit of the album, I right. guess. Some, some of the other like little, little nitpicky details, like the, the water idea. I think we were initially trying to go for more like a snow globe or like glass. Uh-huh. Um, but we did some like rough sketches and it, it wasn't coming out right. Like we didn't like the look. Right. And we wanted to capture the idea that the bubble is like his world yeah. is, is shrinking or that it's failing. Right. In some way, like this, the globe that he's in is we had the idea of like making it look like it's disintegrating or cracking. And in fact, I think there are some cracks on the album. I have to look again. (laughs) But the idea that came to fruition was what if instead of 
like frost or glass, but if it was water. And the idea that the bubble is shrinking, the way we could display that without having like a moving picture, yeah. it's actually leaking. It's dripping. Yeah. And with every drop, it gets smaller. Right. Wow. And that's part of the idea. That's some serious high concept there. Deep, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and I'm going to check on this. So like the first couple lines of the album, maybe the very first line, my memory's not that great. References Lakeview Drive. Now, right. based on what I'm hearing, based on what you guys are saying, I got to imagine everything is very intentional. And the choice of that name is a reference somewhere. Am I right about that? Uh, not necessarily to something internal to the album. It's a little more external. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I think that's mostly like my own sort of personal, uh, like reference to the fact that at the time that we started writing at this album, I was living in a lake house. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I was sort of waking up every morning and seeing the lake. And so for me, whenever I imagined this house is the setting, it's always a house next to a lake. Right. And it just kind of makes sense that a road next to a lake would probably be called Lakeview Drive or something like that. Um, the the 42 part of it is just another Douglas Adams hitchhikers reference. Fair enough. I wonder. Yeah. So exactly. Funny thing here, because when I first saw that, I, I realized my my brain in the moment was referencing somebody else, something else. And the first thing I thought was like, wait, isn't that a band? I realized later Parkview Drive, but in the process of Googling Lakeview Drive, there is apparently a rather well-known Lakeview Drive that is also referred to as the road to nowhere. What? <laughs> that is sheer coincidence, yeah. but that is beautiful. Right. That, that's I, I thought they got to have intended that. They must have, they must have be familiar with this and they included it that way on purpose. But. And he makes this sound so, so smart. I wish we did. I so <laughs> wish that was intentional. That would be so badass. <laughs> yeah. But that that's the universe once in a while likes to play little coincidence games with us. Uh, so Absolutely. I think that's pretty cool that they uh, I love that. That's they, so cool. The world just helped you out a little bit there. So we're gonna we're gonna add this little bit of flourish here. <laughs> but that's awesome. So the question I think a lot of us are gonna have at this point is are we getting to see you guys? Tour? We getting to see you live somewhere in the near future, maybe opening for Haken or Dream Theater. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one could only hope, right? Yeah. Or, hey, um, maybe Dream Sonic can be an annual thing. They'll be, you know, come back next year. Hope so. I think that would be insane. I think we have some things lined up that we can't really talk about yet. Fair enough. We do. We do have some stuff coming. I mean, hopefully, um, we it's can a little talk ways about it in like a month. Or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, I mean, that's that's encouraging in and of itself. That means yes, there is something. Yes, and all these oh, yeah. aren't where they need to be just yet. So we are we're in pretty like close to accurate process. Yeah, like yeah. the the mentality about like finishing the album like while we were in the studio was like I think part of it was because it had taken so long and we were so eager to get it done. We were like, we're not doing anything else until we finish this. 
Right. Like, no. no other preparations. Like honestly, even to the extent that we we found ourselves in this awkward position once we had officially finished the mix and the master of the album, we we're like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, we don't have art. <laughs> Realistically, we probably should yeah. have been getting the art lined up like while we were doing that, but yeah. we didn't because yeah. we were like, nope, we are singularly focused on yeah. finishing this after we've been working on it for so long. And the the same is true for rehearsals. We we were like we're not even thinking about rehearsals until this is done yeah. and out. And now that it is, we've, we've gotten in a couple rehearsals. We're sort of getting our, our gear together, trying to make the live show flow smoothly. Um, and, you know, sort of having to go back and relearn a number of parts. Cause uh, in some of the cases, there were notes that like we didn't touch hmm. for months or maybe even like a year after we recorded them. Yeah. And so there's, there's been a lot of going back and having to relearn, the album itself um so yeah like the live show is absolutely going to happen this isn't going to be a um like a studio project only um we we have a real love for playing in front of people even if like most of our experience so far has been playing you know like in front of people in charlotte um we we really want to expand that out and play that in in front of all of the people who love the album and Prague and stuff um so totally going to happen just a matter of like getting rehearsed to our satisfaction because we're also not willing to like same perfectionist mentality we're not willing to come out on stage and half-ass the the live version of the album it has to be um i don't know it, it has to follow the the expectation in the prog and in the metal world where you are able to replicate the album live yeah um it's it's got to sound convincing especially because you know from like way back in the day when um i don't know when everyone found out that dragon forces through the fire and flames was recorded at half speed and then digitally sped up and like everyone was so upset about that i i truly personally believe that. that was like a landmark moment where uh in in the metal world now like a, a big part of metal live shows is bands demonstrating that they can actually play what they recorded sure. um, because studio magic is, is a beautiful and wonderful and dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's become especially important for bands to be able to replicate what they played so that people live can be like, ah, okay. So they weren't, you know, so the album wasn't deceptive that they can actually do this. Um, and therefore we got to live up to that. So got to be rehearsed first for sure yeah you're you're talking to someone who's an old rush head so back in the day that was my standard yeah is that you could come on stage and play the album as it as it was you know as it was on the album live replicate that without too much sticking around you know then of course they made power windows and kind of threw all that out the hell of the window. You know, like <laughs> we're gonna make a studio album that we can't possibly reproduce live without backing tracks. Okay, thanks guys. You're kind of undermining my entire point here of judging other bands. Sorry, it is a it is a tough thing balancing yeah. the uh, the the vision with yeah. the desire to replicate it live. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like there's yeah. there's always like concessions to have to be sure. that have to be made like you know when the guitarist has laid down a bunch of rhythm tracks yeah and like layered them deeply and there's also a lead track there's a matter of having to figure out okay now what is the guitarist actually going to play live since he right. can't possibly play all of those parts at the same time 
it's the answer is yeah, make your bass players play three different things at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go, Cole. <laughs> there you go. Good up, bro. Yeah, thrown down. The 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 bass, the keys, and the 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 Moog pedals. Yep. I got to get on it. That's what you do. <laughs> but yeah, so that was always my standard. So yeah, my expectation is with a lot of people that if you're going to put it on the album, be able to play it live. Fair and, enough. And if you got to put it on the album and recorded it at slower speed and speed it up chances are your life decisions have been poor. <laughs> yeah. The way I look at it. That's that's the I can't believe I've gotten this far in life and never heard that before. That's funny. Oh well. <laughs> Live and learn. I among other things I've right. learned today too is that if I don't touch my mouse for long enough, despite the fact that I've got a video recording going on, my screens will go black on me. They will go to screensaver mode. Oh, I wondered yeah. why you were going ghost for a bit there. Yeah, I must have got. I think at one point in time, I thought the whole system had shut down. I went, "What just happened?" But then I could still hear you. Went, "Oh, okay." <laughs> that has literally yeah. never happened to me before. <laughs> so, Fair enough. Live and learn. All right. Well, cool. Uh, my personal hope, not only is that you'll tour, is that you're going to hit the Philly area because I'd love to see you guys live. That would be excellent. But you know, if you can, if you got any pull with the tour manager, tell them get them out of here. I I would say that's that's inevitable. We're Good. more likely to to get up there. I I mean, East Coast is um, that's the, where we are. That seems like probably the the logical, um, you know, starting right. tour thing. I, I don't think we're going to start by immediately going out to the West Coast, um, right. though we would like to, obviously. Um, so yeah, we we totally plan to. Um, I imagine. It's probably going to start the way that it has to, like with a lot of other bands, we're going to have to, um, you know, work our, our way up and like play with various local acts in in uh, in the cities that we go to. I I mean, like we can dream about getting picked up and touring with a larger group. That would be sure. beautiful and wonderful and magic. But um, I I think it is reasonable for us to sort of echo the same sort of mentality that we have had with this album, which is that I, I don't know, go into it with low expectations and be pleasantly surprised. Like we knew we liked this album. We just didn't know if everyone else was going to as well. So, I mean, right. We are, like they mostly do. <laughs> we're, we're happy to be uh, pleasantly surprised if someone wants to come along and be like, Hey, you want to go on tour? Sure. Yeah. There why not? Are. Sure. I expect it's going to happen. I expect yeah. it's going to happen. So, guys, it has been my absolute pleasure. Uh, this is probably the longest interview I've done. And I'm so sorry. Like, no, <laughs> honest, honestly, it's one of those ones I'm looking at. I'm going, we could keep going easily, easily. But I suppose at some point in time, you guys might have other things in life you want to get to. Fair and, enough. you know, at some point in time, I, uh, you know, I, one of us is going to need to have to take a bathroom break. So at some point, it's true. <laughs> right. And we, uh, we were sort of trying to determine, you know, which of us were going to be available to, to yeah. come have a chat and everything. And just your luck, you got the two most talkative of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. He's anyway. not wrong. Yeah. As, as I've said before, the people that will listen to the podcast and watch the video are here for you guys. They're not here for my pretty face and my melodious voice. Uh, so the more you talk, the better. Right on. Getting to know you. That's what we're here to do. Well, Dave, we appreciate you having us, boss. 
Absolutely. Appreciate your time, guys. Thanks for uh, joining in. Thanks for getting in touch like you did. I'm glad we were able to work this out. Totally. Very cool, guys. It's been my absolute pleasure meeting you. Uh, I wish you the best with the album. Sounds like you're off to a roaring start already. Like you said, a song of the year, album of the year, discussions already. Uh, It's been a big year for prog metal, and you guys have been one part of it. I hope you get tour together soon. I hope that's successful. Best of luck, guys. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Bye. As I said, we had a blast. It was a great conversation talking with these guys and learning about the history of the band. And what you find out in a lot of cases is these bands come out so polished because they've been working so hard for years in all cases. And these guys just, they knew what they wanted. And when they were ready, they made it happen. And they kicked ass right out the door. The album is getting rave reviews. That is getting a lot of attention all over the place and sounds like a tour is on the way. So hopefully we get to find out some news about that in the very near future. Meanwhile, I encourage you to run out and grab No Spoon, the new album Opus. You can find them on Bandcamp and probably everywhere else that you can buy digital music. Keep an eye out for the tour. Sign on to their email, uh, their sign on to their newsletter so you can keep track of what's going on there. Follow them on Facebook, whatever you need to do. And, hey, let's see what happens down the road with No Spoon. I am looking forward to it. Absolutely. Thank you very much to Cole and Phil. Guys, it was a great time. I wish you the best of luck with the album and the tour. May they both be huge successes for you because I want to see more down the road. All right, guys. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks for joining me once again for another episode of Bleeding Edge Interviews. Don't forget... Tune in to Toxic Radio every Sunday, all day Sunday, for the all prog, all day Brain Salad Sunday. That's where you get to hear all the music that we just spent time talking about. In addition, you can locate me out there in the world of social media, whether it's on Twitter, where you can find me at bleeding triple underscore, that's three underscores, edge, or maybe on Facebook, where you can find me at bleeding edge show. Or last but not least, you can also locate me on Instagram, bleeding underscore edge underscore show. Matter of fact, I'm also on threads now at this point in time with that same handle. Find me there. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you think about Rob. Let me know what you think about what you had for dinner tonight. Doesn't matter. Check me out. Give me the like and the follow. And thanks once again for joining me for Bleeding Edge Interviews. And remember, don't be afraid to deviate from the norm. Keep it proggy. This is Super Dave signing off. (laughs) 